Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. And today I want to be talking about rebuilding your life. Many of us in midlife go through divorce, go through the loss of people that we have loved or still do love. Today I'm joined by author Kirsten Micklewaite, who's going to share her amazing journey of going through lies, tragedy, and coming out with a new sense of self, compassion, and forgiveness for the other person. Much of it is outlined in her amazing book, The Ghost Marriage. We're going to talk in depth about the journey she went through that is well documented in that book, and also how her life has moved forward since coming through tragedy. And I want to really welcome Kirsten to the show. It's going to be, I think, an amazing conversation. I am so excited that you're here, Kirsten, and we're going to talk about really, I think, an inspiring story, as I said in the intro, of your journey from really a very difficult space to an amazing new life. And we might just start with this book, The Ghost Marriage. I mean, I'm just intrigued. I want to know more and, and I'm sure my listeners do too. But can you share a little bit about this book, Rome? Sure. So it's a memoir. It tells of the story of, it starts when a 30, in my early 30s, I've just come back from living in Italy for a year and I'm on the precipice realizing that I do want marriage and family. Haven't quite figured that out yet. And suddenly I meet a man who sweeps me off my feet. He's a successful lawyer. He's dashing and fun and adores me. And we are married within the year. He really um, seduces me and lets all systems go. And we were married in total 22 years. I would say the first 17 years were every marriage has its ups and downs, but it was by and large very satisfying, happy marriage. We have two really wonderful children. But at around year 17, he began to change. He became very unhappy with his work and he started self-destructing. What I did not know until much later was that he had become addicted to opioids from some back surgeries. He'd gotten addicted to Vicodin. And that combined with his growing satisfaction with his job, he just didn't want to do it anymore. And he became very moody. He became a little manic in terms of always wanting the next vacation, the next house, the next motorcycle. And I just found it increasingly difficult to deal with until we went into therapy, but it was really too little too late. And we separated and um, ultimately divorced. But when I decided to separate from him, he went on the warpath. He was a litigator and he made my life extremely difficult. And then we divorced. He had lost his job. He had taken, I think, four properties from our divorce settlement. I had taken our main property. He had the other four. 
and he started defaulting on the loans and he wasn't working. So it became a difficult situation. He was supposed to remove my name from the loans, but he didn't. Then he became diagnosed, he got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and he died within the year. And he left me with all of those real estate loans, as well as a great deal of credit card debt to the total of $1.5 million. So after having gone through this very high conflict divorce, I was now having to deal with all this debt. And I was a single parent. I had no other support. I was scrambling to reinvent myself professionally. And the the book tells this story of it begins with happily ever after and it degrades from there. And then it's the story of my recovery, my financial and emotional recovery. And a big part of that was learning to forgive my husband for what he had done. And it's a little bit, there's a little bit of a paranormal twist in that I continue to have communications from my husband once he has died. But it was that communication that enabled me to see the larger picture and to ultimately find my way to forgiveness. The end. Wow. (laughs) The end, but definitely the beginning of a new life. Just listening to that, it's a huge journey, a massive journey. Like you said, you you went, you were 17 years happily married and then things changed. And that must have been really shocking for you. It happened so gradually. It was not a sudden shock. It was more of a creeping feeling of impending doom. I, I use in the book the metaphor of being on a bus that is headed over a cliff. And as most women do, I tried for a long time to make it work, to try to support him in some way so that the bus didn't go over the cliff. But I had this kind of moment of self-actualization where he was out one night and I was sitting on our bed and I just began to cry. And the words that came out of my mouth were, my soul is dying. I, in trying to keep him afloat and keep the family together, there was something in me that was dying. And that was the moment at which I realized I have to get out. I have to save myself and I have to save my children. What was the impact of your children of his behavior on them at this To this day, I don't think they really have looked very closely at that experience. One of the positives about Steve was that he really was a great dad to the extent that he could be. He had some real narcissistic qualities, but he did love his kids. And when we separated, he was the fun parent for the most part. And I was the rock and I was the person who made sure things happened. So I think they could overlook. There were times when he had explosions of temper that were traumatic for them. But in general, I don't think they experienced it in the same way that I did. And it's something that we still, we really don't talk about it because they are still very much in the, in the mindset of wanting to protect their good memories of their dad. 
So this story is not something that we've really shared together. No, no, and I can understand that. It's quite a complicated, Mm -hmm. um, delicate path to walk, isn't it, Kristen? It continues to be delicate. And, And people have asked me, what do your children think about the book? Because I'm very candid. I tell everything that is in the memoir actually happened, and I tell it to the extent that I remember it exactly. So people ask me, what do your children think of the book? And my children and I have agreed that they will not read this book for many years. I hope they will at some point. I hope at some point they'll be ready to pull open the shade on what were some crazy years. But right now, we're at a detente where they're not going open up that Pandora's box. No, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Talked about then when you separated, Mm -hmm. that's when you have said he became the narcissistic side of him. Mm -hmm. How did that manifest? He was a very charismatic, a bit controlling person. He had been married once before. He had four daughters from his first marriage. And he, when he met me, he had been a man about town dating a lot of women. I was the first woman to leave him, to say, I want out. And he could not handle that. And he immediately flipped into more of a victim mode that I didn't love him. And I was treating him as if I was just firing the pool boy. And he immediately made me the, the villain. Which was an interesting dynamic. It's one thing I've, I've learned. And we, I think we also saw it in our most recent president that someone can be a bully, but the moment they feel vulnerable, they flip into the victim. It's a pattern that seems to be fairly common. And that's what happened. And you describe that being close to somebody else we know in the public eye. And then yes. you are then. That person is poor me. Look at me, what you're doing to me. They're trying to absolve their own behavior. Absolutely. And he was able to rewrite history. He told me at one point, you use, he accused me of marrying him to use California's community property laws to get half of his property, that that was the only reason I married him and that I had used sex to seduce him into marrying me. When in fact, I had been the hesitant one. He had been the one, let's get married, let's buy a house, let's forward. And I said, so let me get this straight. I met you. I seduced you into marrying me. I stayed happily married to you for 22 years, I had two children with you. (laughs) And now, (laughs) also that now I could divorce you, it made absolutely no sense. But I think narcissists are able to just create the world to make themselves feel better about themselves. So they they create a version of reality that isn't grounded in fact, maybe. How we would describe that. They twist facts in their own. And I I do believe that he honestly believed it. I don't think he was just trying to make me feel guilty. I think he had told himself this story and just completely rewritten history. But for me, it was really 
disorienting. You're when you're dealing with a narcissist, and he was not a complete narcissist. Like I said, he was able to really love his children. So I'm not sure exactly where the line is drawn, but he definitely had narcissistic tendencies. And when you're dealing with someone like that, you're the adult and they're kind of this child, this person that's not in control of their emotions. And so you really, you really need to try to stay calm and maintain your composure and your sense of equilibrium because they're going to take you down a rabbit hole. What did you do or how did you maintain that sense of balance and stay connected to the things, Kirsten, that were, you knew were fact when he was spinning Mm -hmm. so many stories? I wish I could say that I was completely honorable and maintained that balance for myself throughout the whole ordeal. That would not be true. I definitely bought into some of his <clears throat> manipulations. But for the most part, every time he behaved badly, it was just confirmation to me that I was doing the right thing to leave and that I was ultimately doing the right thing for my children to leave. I would sometimes leave his house and just have to throw things or just scream because it was so frustrating to be dealing with someone who was not behaving like a rational adult. But I was determined to get out, and I was determined to get my kids launched to college. They were both in high school when this journey began. And I just maintained that as it's like you focus on a point on the horizon, and you don't take your eye off that point. You just remind yourself what you're moving toward. And I was able to do that. Which is an incredible thing, actually, because I, I can imagine there are so many women who can relate to this story, maybe even some men too. That point in the horizon is very far away or they can't see it. I think one of the real gifts of an adversity experience like this is you really learn who you are. And I did not know how strong I was. I did not know how resourceful I was or determined. All of those things were made manifest to me as I was going through it and after I survived it. I had no idea I could withstand that. But I think especially when there are children involved, you do. I think women with their children they take extra jobs or they, they show up at five in the morning or whatever it is we have to do. Women are amazing. And most of us choose to do what we have to do to save our children and hopefully save ourselves. Yeah. And I think we, we become a bit like mama bear, don't we? Yes. We become really strong and ferocious for the sake of our children, even if that's not our natural way to be. Correct. Yeah. I, I think a good metaphor is childbirth. After my first child, I had natural childbirth. And anytime I encountered a physical challenge after that, I would do cycling and I absolutely hate going up hills. I just, I want to get off and walk my bike. But I would remind myself, look what you did. You did 12 hours of childbirth with no anesthesia. You can get up this hill. So it gives you a point of reference 
And I think childbirth was also a good metaphor for this journey for me. I just bit down and I pushed through and I came out on the other side. You you mentioned right up front the financial part of it. And when you say that figure, $1.5 million, that's mm-hmm. phenomenal sum of Yeah. One of my gifts in this journey was it was just money, except for my son was ill for about six months and, and he broke his collarbone. But other than that, I didn't have any, I, I didn't have any health issues. My children were for the most part health. So one of my mantras was it's only money. It's a number. It's not, there were times when I genuinely feared that we were going to lose our house. That was, I think the rock bottom for me when I was looking at bankruptcy and that I would actually lose my home and I didn't know what that was going to look like. But once Steve died and he was no longer hiding all this from me because this was going on, but I didn't know about it because all the collection notices were going to him. Once he died, his mail got forwarded to me and the phone call started coming to me. And I realized, holy cow, here's this avalanche. It took me eight months to resolve the financial things. So I, two of the, two of the properties went into foreclosure. I couldn't do anything about, I had buyers for them, but I couldn't get them back from the banks to sell them. Two of the properties I short sold, which means you sell them for less than they're worth. The credit card companies I called and I dealt with them. I paid partial against the ultimate balance. I was able to resolve it all within eight months. What then that left me with was a credit score that was in the toilet. And it was eight years before that credit score rolled off of my credit report. And that just happened in 2021, maybe, very recently. But the most of it I could deal with within an eight-month period. And after that, it was just about rebuilding my career, rebuilding my relationships with my kids now that we're three instead of four. And But that was the worst of it. It's a huge number. But it's really all about negotiation. It's not like I was paying that out of my own pocket. No. And I think when you put it like that, it shows tremendous courage and foresight on your part, to to see that. Because I think we can become very consumed by the sheer size. Amazing. And the other thing was, that he did this, this wasn't just me, he was doing this to his children. Like his children almost lost their home because of his his anger at me and his refusal to step up and do the right thing when it came to these debts. And so that's something that I've continued to grapple with is how could he have been so vindictive? And again, I think the opioids were part of it. I think that he was not thinking with a completely clear mind, but it's something that I still wrestle with because I would never have done this to somebody else. And it's just hard to wrap your brain around it when it happens to you. That someone you were happily married to for so many years hates you so much that they'll behave this way toward you. How did you go about finding forgiveness, which is something you've talked about in the book? 
I knew we hear it all the time that forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's about you, that you don't want to carry this weight of anger around for the rest of your life. And so it's important for your own health to forgive the person. So after Steve died and I was just wallowing in the mess, I would have conversations with him and I would say, I am not, I had a timeline for when I was going to forgive him. And that was when I was out from under all this, which would basically have been eight years, the full life cycle of the credit and having my life made whole again. So that was my plan. But in the meantime, I started getting these very, these paranormal experiences and I detail them in the book. I won't go into a lot of detail here, but Steve started showing up in my life. I I absolutely believed that he was speaking to me from the other side. So I went to an intuitive medium and this wasn't until a couple years later because I wasn't ready to speak to him. I said to him, I said, I am not going to the medium now because I am still not speaking to you. I am so angry. But when I was finally ready to have that conversation, I went and I had a conversation with him and I came to understand that, and some of your listeners may not buy into this at all. I'm completely fine with that. This was my experience. I came to learn that we had a soul contract and that before we came into this life, we had, we made an agreement that he would help me learn certain lessons. And this was the main lesson he was going to help me learn. And that was the reasoning behind all of this was for me to learn this lesson, to move forward on my own path to enlightenment. It, I'm describing it very briefly. It happened over a period of years, but I really came to believe and feel in my gut that this was what was behind this crazy relationship I had and that he had done this for me, not to me. And it was amazing. I forgave him in an instant and I did not plan to, I did not want to. I suddenly heard myself say, I forgive you, Steve. And a weight was lifted. It still took a lot of work after that. It wasn't an overnight experience, but my being able to put down that anger and just move on with my life and focus on my career and my kids was huge. I'd still be angry today if it wasn't for that experience. And different people will find different paths toward forgiveness, but I just, I can't state strongly enough how essential it is to get to that point. As you said, it's about yourself and you being able to put down that anger so that you could actually move forward and your children can move into this next stage where there's, as you said, it's just the three of you and that's that's equally important for them too. Yeah, people who read the book see, I'm brutally honest about my relationship with my then teenage daughter And it was a combination of hormones and mother-daughter angst on top, on top of which was the divorce and her anger at me for that. We had a very conflict-ridden 
relationship for a few years there. But at one point during this process, we were riding in the car and I said to her, your dad and I have, you know, been through a lot. She was like, I don't even want to hear it. And I said, hear me out. I said, I want you to know that I have forgiven him. And that changed everything in our relationship. Once she understood that after everything that had happened, I had forgiven him, that healed my relationship with her as well. So many benefits <laughs> come from yeah, that. Very, and very powerful too, because as you said, it, it isn't something we just say, I forgive you. It was a real process involved. Yeah, it was. And I still scratch my head over. I still sometimes get wrapped up in the sort of spinning back to, I can't believe some of the things he did. I can't believe he got to the point where he did that. But it's not with anger. It's really more just puzzlement and curiosity. Like, how did that happen? Um, should I have done something differently? When you put down the anger, I don't know, there's just something that happens emotionally. It, I, I have to believe that even biologically, forgiveness has effects on the body. Oh, to I totally agree that I think that it is, it is, as we say, the body holds the score of our emotions. So it feels yeah. to me entirely that in putting down anger and replacing that with the forgiveness, it changes our, our very DNA. Yes, I do, I do believe it does. Now life is very different. What were some of the steps you took initially to reinvent yourself and your life? I had been a full-time mom for 12 years. We lived in the Napa Valley, which is a very beautiful rural environment. It's about two and a half hours from San Francisco, depending on the traffic. So I had taken myself, and when we moved up there, I told Steve, if something happens and I have to go back to work, there's no work up there for me because I worked in, I worked for a university. I worked in higher education and nonprofits. I wasn't working in hospitality or wine. So when we separated, I started freelancing. I, you know, called around and got some freelance jobs and got myself back into the swing of things on a project basis. Then once the divorce happened, I was able to buy a house with the proceeds from the main property that we sold. And I worked on building my freelance business up to where I could hopefully support us. That was a challenge. To be a freelance writer and a single mom with no other means, I was getting no child support, no alimony. Um, you don't meet many people who do that. And I finally realized, I don't think this is sustainable. And so that's when I started looking for full-time work back in the Bay Area. But I didn't want to take my children out of school. I think by then my daughter was at college, but my son was still in high school. And I didn't want to uproot him from the only place he'd ever known. So I started commuting to the Bay Area, total five-hour round trip, five days a week. And that was tough. And I continued freelancing for the extra money. So I was working on evenings and weekends as well as 
a full-time job and a five-hour round-trip commute. Like I say, women are incredible. Yeah, they are. (laughs) We find ways to make things work, but boy, it can be hard someday. And by then I was in my mid to late 50s. I was not a spring chicken anymore. It was pretty wearing. So finally, when my son went off to college, I moved a little closer to the Bay Area. By then I was back full-time freelancing again. And then I wanted to get another full-time job. So I was commuting about three hours round trip from there. And then finally, just a couple years ago, I moved back to the Bay Area and I'm actually working for the same university I was working for before this all started. And in many ways, I feel like I've returned to that person again. My life is very similar to the way it was when I was in my early 30s. That's amazing. And how does that actually Mm -hmm. feel for you that that sort of reinvention or or return in spaces? It feels really good. It feels really good. I was a very independent woman before I got married, and I'm a completely independent woman now. I knew that I wanted marriage and a family, and I don't have that hanging over my head anymore. I have a beautiful two children. So I am really free to do exactly what I want to do. I have a job that's rewarding. I still freelance a little on the side. I'm working on a second book. And once COVID is over, I'm hoping to get back to traveling more. Uh, I just came back from two weeks on the East Coast. It feels amazing. Now, mind you, my body isn't quite the same as it was back then. <laughs> no, no pieces. <laughs> my stamina is not as good as it was. So I have to take my vitamins and do my workouts. But it's shocking to me how so much could have happened to me. And now I'm that same girl, only better. The same girl, but with lots of additional wisdom. So much more wisdom. And so much more just experience and hopefully compassion for myself, compassion for other people, resilience. I've been through the ringer and you go through the rest of your life knowing that you're not invincible, but you're a heck of a lot more resilient than you thought. And that's really a gift. It is a gift. And I think it's something that we only gain through challenging experiences yeah in our life yeah we don't gain that if life is pretty much a smooth pond because then life just ticks over it really comes when we face adversity absolutely it's not a hypothetical you have to go through it and uh, come out on the other side yeah you do if you would say one thing how has all this has it impacted your approach to relationship? That's the one sort of exception to the rule. That's the one hiccup for me is that it's, I've come to realize that I still have um, room for healing in that area. In the book, I detail some of my experiences with online dating and about I'd say about six years ago, I just stopped that because I was tired of being disappointed and frustrated by the experience. I did have one longish term relationship out of that, but for the most part, I just didn't feel like I was meeting men that could enhance my life in any way. I was, I don't want this to come out wrong. I'm not anti-man. 
but I just wasn't finding connection. And I think part of it was my own sort of slight PTSD from the experience that I would, I married this amazing, charismatic, wonderful guy who turned out to be quite different. And I think there, I still have some trust issues there, but I also am so happy in my life right now that I'm not willing to make big compromises. I'm not willing to change my life for a man. So I'm a tough customer. I don't know. I think what you're echoing, other women have also said on this podcast, and I've had it here quite a few people who work in the field of dating, and they would say very similar things. I mean, really? that, it, that of the online dating space is very toxic in its own way. Mm. And it's not particularly kind to women of our age or older. Of age. And it's very focused on the young. It's quite a predatory space. And I suppose, Mm, and I think what you said about trust, and and an important thing you mentioned, there is for you clearly must be some PTSD. What you went through was very traumatic. It was very directed at you. And that does take time. Yeah, it's only been in the last year or so that I've come to be aware that I am still walking around with a foam rubber suit on, that I have this buffer. I don't feel joy, I don't think, as intensely as I used to, and I don't feel pain as intensely as I used to. I just move through it because I spent about 10 years just trying to get through stuff. So I do, and I am trying to work on that. I think that I'm, um, I have a thicker skin than I want to have. And that, that's something, like I said, I'm working on, but I also scratch my head because I have so many amazing women friends, many of them single, who are so much wiser and more spiritual and curious and they've kept themselves physically fit and are just such amazing people and nobody is really meeting partners out there that are at the same caliber that have worked on themselves or have grown because of the experiences they've been through vastly generalizing i don't again i don't want to say no, but it's not un- it's not unusual, I think, for us as women and and possibly we've moved into that wiser elder space mm-hmm. through our experiences and the fact that we are postmenopause, we're in a right. different phase of life, that if we embrace that, that's what we are experiencing and we're experiencing community with other women and that men can be part of it, but in some ways they don't need to be a part. And I think also, to be completely fair, and again, this is based on generalization, but women, even those of us who have maintained our careers, we do tend to be more involved with the children. We have had that sense of community and love with other mothers at the schools or you know, sports or whatever. We've had that all along, whereas many men, have been working so hard at their careers and now their careers are over and they just want to chill, but they <laughs> haven't had that. <laughs> yeah. Watch the sports or whatever, but they missed out on some of that. And so they didn't grow in that way. 
in the way that women did. I don't know. To bring it back to the theme of menopause, I think women have been given a lot of gifts in what our bodies go through, what our psyches go through. We grow up with our children and and then send them off into the world. And a lot happens to us spiritually and psychically going through all those phases. And my phase was just super dramatic at the the end, but it turned me into, I think, a much more valuable person because of it. And it's hard to just go on a date and chit-chat about things when you've been through something that's been kind of life-changing. I think that is very true, and 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 I think so many of us feel the same. And that I'm I'm very lucky. I met somebody in my late fifties, but he's also been through some very difficult experiences. So mm-hmm. has changed him as a person. And so I think that's a bit unique. But for a lot of men, you're right. They've gone to work. They've built their careers. Now they want to chill and play golf and watch the sport whereas women are like I've spent this whole time caring for children stuff now it's my turn I've looked after all of you now I'm going to do something in my community uh, more than I've done I'm going to write books I'm going to Mm -hmm. you know start a podcast I'm going to build a business and incredible women that I am working with and connected to who are you know really in their 70s and 80s who are starting new businesses. Wow. And now a friend of mine, she's just opened an Ayurvedic cafe. She's 70. And oh my God. And another lady, she's just become a spiritual coach and she turns 80 now. Wow. Now, That's think, so inspiring. You know, and then I just look and think, here I am thinking I'm in my 60s and I think we all can be inspired. And I say to, to the listeners too is, I think that is what our experiences like Kirsten sharing, tell us that we we go through tremendous changes. So it's spiritual, psychological, it's it's transformational change that just opens us up to opportunities. And menopause is far from the end. It really is the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. Kirsten, you had a message for the listeners of maybe some of the lessons that came to you. What what would it be? I think just to build on what you just said, be prepared to surprise yourself. Be prepared to discover depths and gifts and talents that you didn't necessarily know you had. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Don't sell yourself short. I think we're all so much more, I think women in particular, we tend to downplay our talents. We tend to defer to others, at least on the surface. And I just am learning how amazing and powerful and creative and resourceful we are. And I would just love to encourage other women to dig deep and surprise yourself. What is it you want to do? Go out and do it past the point that you thought you could do it. Just do it. And life does not end at menopause for sure. You've got another whole chapter in your life ahead of you. I'm with you all the way there. Kirsten, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Where can people get hold of a copy of your book? 
they can Google The Ghost Marriage. It's in online booksellers everywhere. They can go to my website, which is kirstenmicklewaite.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well so people can find it and connect with you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Difficult, but so honestly and, and so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you, Clarissa. It's been so much fun talking to you. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. Rollercoaster prices, supply chain glitches, political unease. They do their best to wreck my business plans. With so many unknowns, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Aon helps me stay on top of things. They have expert points of view on volatility from around the world, paired with local insight that helps me get back on solid ground. Better decisions. Aon.